my soul so weary when troubles come and my heart burden be then i am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me you raise me up so i can stand on This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I like to say this because I want to remind you and me that this is the day, every day. Not bad days, not good days, not cold days, not hot days, but every day. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad 
in it. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm so delighted you've joined me tonight. I trust that we will all be blessed by the music and by the word. Thank you again for joining me. I'm reading tonight from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Would you hear, please, the reading of God's word? Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim relief to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heavens were about shut up for three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zephyrah in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. William Ramsey, in his book, Four Modern Prophets, summarized the message of the late Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. In describing Dr. King's message, this is what Dr. Ramsey said. He believed in the social gospel. He believed in nonviolence and love. He believed in the power of innocent suffering. He believed in the church and its responsibilities. And like the biblical prophet, King presented the future as conditioned upon the repentance of God's people. Now, in much the same way, our text today is a summary of the career of Jesus. Now, many people think of this text as the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, but it's also the summary of his career. For instance, here we see why Jesus came into the world. As Jesus himself put it, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As one scholar stated it, the direction of this day is clearly a calling to the public square. In other words, we are really able to understand Jesus' commitment to the social gospel, to the social gospel. Let's reconstruct this scene. 
Jesus is now in his hometown of Nazareth. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Since there was no local clergy, whoever happened to be in the congregation that day could either preach or teach or apply the lesson. Usually, a distinguished rabbi would be visiting, and so that rabbi would be asked. But this day, Jesus was there. You know, local boy makes good. And so the elders decided to ask him to preach. And the place was packed. There were friends and people who loved him and knew him and others as well. The place was absolutely packed. In that day, you read the scripture standing, and then you sat down to teach or preach or to apply it. So... The people began to listen to this Nazarene, Jesus, and at first the Nazarenes were very pleased with his message. They were just so pleased and admired Jesus. They had heard all the good things that he was doing, and they sensed in his message that this was true. And so they were very, very pleased. But then they really began to listen to his message. And when they began to listen to his message, their admiration suddenly turned to hostility. They heard Jesus saying, that in terms of Isaiah, that all those blessings were reserved not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And they also heard Jesus say that the future was now being lived out in the present, in him. And of course their admiration, as I said, turned into a seething hostility. And their hostility was directed both to the message and the messenger. So what did Jesus say? He said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now if the church is truly the body of Christ and truly a caring agency in this culture, then the real question is, how can it also be said of the church that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing? For a few moments, I want us to think about Jesus and his sacred calling to us to the public square. First of all, this calling to the public square is a message of good news. It's a message of good news. The Pope was talking to a crowded place in St. Peter's. And he said the other night in my prayer, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord came to me and said, I have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is I'm coming before next Sunday. The bad news is that I'm real mad. I'm real mad. Gratefully, the message of this text before us is sheer good news. Now, it's not good news about the future, as some people would expect. It's good news about the present. It's good news for the here and now. This good news is centered in the life, the reconciling ministry, the compassion of Jesus Christ. Gardner Taylor, pastor emeritus of the church in Brooklyn, New York, the Concord Baptist Church for over 50 years, was talking about Jesus. He said, he is our peace and our pardon. He is our light and our life. He is our lawyer and leader. He is our hope and help. He is our way and way maker. He is our strength and our stay, our deliverer and delight. He is my substitute and savior, my Jesus, my God. So what is the good news? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever liveth and believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So the good news is that this invisible God has become visible. The good news is that this God has reconciled humanity to himself. 
this God whose life and death, all of this and this resurrection has brought humankind to God. The lecture said he didn't particularly remember the talk that occurred 20 years ago. He heard somebody lecturing and the man said he didn't recall it. It wasn't too brilliant. But he said he did remember one impertinent question that an evangelical steward asked of a longtime professor. He said, when were you saved? And this longtime professor gave it a long thought and he said, I was saved 2,000 years ago. And the person telling this story said of all the seminaries and all the places he's ever been, this was the best summary of the gospel. I was saved 2,000 years ago. And so St. Luke tells us of people who are oppressed, people who were lost, people who didn't have any meaning in their life, people who were full of sin, they were changed. How? They were changed because they came across the Lord Jesus Christ, this reconciling, compassionate, saving power of Jesus Christ. Not long ago, I ran across a friend I hadn't seen in a number of years. He was a fraternity brother of mine at the University of Georgia. And let me tell you, when we started talking, I realized he had changed. I mean, really changed. He started talking to me about Jesus Christ. He started talking to me about his love and devotion to the church. And then somewhere in the conversation, I asked him, well, how did you come to know Jesus in your life? He said, well, I was successful in every way. I had everything you can imagine, a beautiful wife, loving children, a fantastic business, and plenty of money. I had it all. But he said, I felt like my life was going over the edge. And so I called my pastor, and I went over to see him, and we talked. We talked about the cross of Jesus and what that meant for my sins. We talked about my forgiveness of sins. We talked about all of this. And then the pastor looked at me and he said, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. And so my friend John said he knelt down on his knees. He confessed his sin. He asked Jesus to come into his heart, and he said, Jesus came. A couple of months later, this friend was on a vacation with his family. They were coming back, and one of his little girls drew a picture of the family. They drew the two sisters, the brother, the cat, the dog, the mother, the father. And the little girl showed the picture to everybody in the car. But finally, she pulled the picture back, and she drew a beer can in John's hand. And John simply said, Lord, I get the message. I get the message. So what happened to my friend John? John came in touch with the transforming power of Jesus Christ, the transforming power of the reconciling, compassionate Jesus Christ, and he was changed. And ladies and gentlemen, that is good news. And then secondly, this calling to the public square is a call to serve. It's a call to serve. Acts 13, 16 refers to the Old Testament character, David. And this is what it says about David. It says simply, and David served the purposes of God in his generation. What a marvelous testimony. He served the purposes of God in his generation. What a marvelous testimony. Bill Hybels said that David was not chasing the wind. He said when David died, he realized that he had given his life to Jesus Christ single-handedly, to God single-handedly, and he had done God's will. And he had done that with his life. What an unforgettable incident. Who of us will ever forget Jesus in that upper room, the Lord of the universe stooping down to wash the feet of his disciples? Can you imagine the President of the United States stooping down to wash the feet of congressmen? Can you imagine the President of a university stooping down and washing the feet of his custodians? But here we have the Lord of the universe 
stooping down to wash the feet of his disciples. By this action, Jesus declared what his ministry would be about. The calling of the Christian faith is for servants. It's for people to be servants to the living God and to one another. Jesus said, you call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. So, so the point is, we need to be about service in the Christian faith. So why should we serve? Why should we serve? First of all, we should serve because it is the express lane to happiness and meaning. It is the express lane to happiness and meaning. Some years ago, Albert Schweitzer was giving a lecture to a distinguished graduating class at a distinguished college in London, England. He said, some of you are going to be very successful. Some of you are going to be adorned with titles. Some of you are going to make a lot of money. But he said, I want you to understand, only those who have learned how to serve will be happy. Only those who have learned how to serve will be happy. The unhappiest people I know are those who are concentrating only on themselves. The happiest people I know, on the other hand, are those people who've learned how to serve others in need. Thomas Carlyle said he remembered an incident that occurred when he was a boy. He said he was at home one day and, and there was a knock at the door and when he opened the door there was this haggard beggar. His parents were not there. He was pretty clear that this beggar was hungry and needed some food. He had tattered clothes and it was cold. So Thomas Carlyle said on a boy's impulse, he raced upstairs, he got his piggy bank, he broke it open, he brought the money back and he gave it to the beggar. And at the end of his life, Thomas Carlyle said, of all the experiences of my life, I have never known such sheer joy as I knew in helping that beggar that day. So that's what I'm talking about. Why serve? Because it's the express lane to happiness and meaning, meaningfulness. And then secondly, why serve? Because it's the glue that holds the community together. Let me tell you a familiar story. A man was given the privilege of going to heaven and hell before he died. When he got down to hell, he noticed that everybody was unhappy, angry, and miserable down there. They all had stiff elbows. There was plenty of food. They had food in their hands. But he said they were walking around terribly angry because they couldn't eat. They couldn't bend their elbows to eat. So he couldn't wait to get out of hell. Then he said he went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, he saw the people still had those elbows that wouldn't bend. And they had plenty of food. They had food in their hands. But he said they had learned one great lesson in life. They had learned to feed each other. Beloved, that's what I'm talking about. Why serve? It's the glue that holds the community together. And then thirdly, why serve? Because it is the example of Jesus and the call of God to serve. If you remember at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said to the lawyer, which of these three do you think? proved neighbor to the one who was wounded by the side of the road. The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy, Jesus said, go thou likewise and show mercy. There was a woman who said one night she was out in the car. She was on the way home from another city. A car broke down. She said she hated it. She had to get out on the road and start trying to flag some help down for her and her car. She said she prayed, God help me. I can't do this by myself. But she said all of a sudden, a big semi-truck driver pulled his truck a little past her, got out and came back and helped her to get the car started. And then the trucker was heading back to his truck. And the lady said, would you tell me your name? 
and the company you represent, I'd like to write them a thank you note. And the trucker looked at her and said, you know it, and I know it, and Jesus knows it, and that's all that important. Evidently, you see, that trucker had learned how to serve. He had learned how to serve in the purposes and in the will of God. And then, thirdly, this calling to the public square is more than spiritual. It's more than spiritual. Listen again to what Jesus said in the scripture lesson. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me ask you something. Who are the blind? Who are the poor? Who are those who are oppressed? Who are all those people? Well, let me tell you, Isaiah knew who they were. They were the exiles. They were the people that were taken into Babylon. This message from Isaiah was a part of his message letting them know that their captivity was ending. So what does this have to do with Jesus? People have incorrectly taken the social context from what Isaiah said and applied it to Jesus' message. Consequently, Jesus' message has become spiritual. And that's never enough. Let me share with you something that Robert McAfee Brown said in his book, Unexpected News. He said, for sure, there is an inner dimension in all of these tragic conditions, but for the third world, spiritual interpretations of these texts won't wash. And what Robert McAfee Brown said of the third world is true of the first and second worlds as well. A spiritual interpretation of these passages simply won't wash anymore. It has to have a physical dimension as well. Ken Carter said he went to a seminary in Washington, D.C., and he was assigned to a ghetto. He was supposed to ask the people what they thought of the church. And so he ran into one man in this ghetto, and he said, he saw the steeple of a Methodist church, and he said, what do you think of that church? And the person replied, I don't think at all about it. I think nothing about it. And Ken Carter said, well, what has this church done in the community? And the man replied, nothing. All they do down there is have church. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the spiritual is not enough. The spiritual is not enough. It has to be physical and spiritual. We all know that, and that is absolutely true. And then this calling to the public square is in the here and now. The thing that shocked those people in Nazareth was when Jesus took a prophetic utterance out of the future and applied it to now. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Maxie Dunham talked about John Wesley. He said, John Wesley, first of all, was trying to save his own soul. But after that occurred, he started spreading the gospel with others. He wanted to be other-directed. And he held, he held these big revival meetings. And what he tried to do was get these families to understand that Jesus himself was the Savior, that salvation had come. And what he said was, I offer them Christ. In other words, salvation has already come. Jesus has come. Salvation is here. And so he was offering them that salvation. Beloved, if Jesus was right in that synagogue when he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it means that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and has already come. It means that that future better day is already here. It means the disturbing of the status quo. It means a renewal and a reversal of worldly values to holy values. As one of our World Methodist leaders said to us one time, he said, you know, 
if you're going to deal with the poor, first of all, you've got to live an incarnational lifestyle. You've got to be there and care for them. He said, secondly, you have to live close in and not far away. Distance, he said, keeps you from identifying with people. And then he said, you have to be in the holistic ministry, which is spiritual, physical, and economic. And he was absolutely true. One day, Robert Louis Stevenson was sitting at his window. He was a boy, and he was sick. He was watching out the window, and he was watching a lamplight out on the street, light the lanterns on the street. His nurse came in the room and said, what are you doing? And this is what he said. He said, I'm, I'm watching a man make holes in the darkness. That's what we are supposed to be doing as Christians and as churches, making holes in the darkness. Making holes in the darkness. That is our message. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful again for your presence and all the blessings of this life. Help us to realize that our faith, that our Lord has already come, salvation is here. Help us to be open to receive Jesus and to receive this salvation and to live it out that others can know it as well. Thank you again for these who are watching the service and participating with us. Bless them all and make them a blessing. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me for this service, and I trust that you have received a blessing, and in turn you'll be a blessing to someone else. Have a good evening. Good night. say